Hello, thanks for tuning in to the Trinity Church Nottingham podcast. It's great to have you with us. My name's Johnny, together with my wife Amy, we lead this church here in the centre of Nottingham. Our vision is to see the church on fire and the city alive. If we can help you in any way at all, please feel free to get in touch and email us at info at trinitychurchnottingham.org. Okay, let's jump into the podcast. Now, some of you know, uh, I, am, I, have, I'm, I love a bit of pop psychology. I'm a student, uh, sort of weekly at least, a student of, of Wikipedia, <laughs> and particularly when it comes to psychology. And I did come across this week in my sermon prep uh, the concept, which I don't know if we've got through this together before, the concept of confirmation bias. Has anybody heard of confirmation bias? Some of you are probably psychology students. You're going to embarrass me later when you tell me that I've really uh, caricatured confirmation biases. But for those of you who've never heard, a confirmation bias is, bias is the tendency to search for, interpret, favor, and recall information in a way that affirms one's prior beliefs. So if you like, it's a way of scanning and filtering information so that all the information does is affirm and confirm what you already think. Sound familiar, anyone? Goes on to say, people display this bias when they gather or remember information selectively. Anybody come across the concepts of selective hearing? In your household, maybe you have a husband or a wife who you believe is selectively hearing. Well, this is even worse. This is selective scanning of information or remembering. Or they interpret information in a biased way. The effect, and this is what I want to get to, is stronger for desired outcomes. That is, the more you care about it, the, the more the effect works. And for emotionally charged issues and for deeply entrenched beliefs. Okay, this is the reason, this can happen with anything, but this is the reason that I'm completely convinced that despite yesterday's appalling defeat against Norwich, that Manchester City are indeed the best team in the land and all the world, as the song goes. I'm sure of it, and no matter what data you give me, you will not possibly, you could not possibly convince me of any other hypothesis. I'm sure, I'm certain, I know it. I know it to be true deep in my heart. Some of you may be, may be able to think of a, a political issue or so where this is the case at the moment. You know, deeply entrenched positions, even opposing positions, where the more the conversations go, the further entrenched positions become. Can you think of anything that fits the bill? Order. Order. So uh, this happens with people as well. It's not just politics. This is the reason that we know for a fact that our friends are the best friends. It's what, in some de- to some degree, what binds us together. It's not always a bad thing, but it's, it gives us the confidence that our people are the people. We're the best people. It's, it's what gives us confidence that our nation is the best nation. It, it, it binds nations together, but it all can also lead to exclusion and nationalism when it's unhealthy, and it can also function with deeply entrenched religious beliefs as well. One of the reasons that Jesus tells stories is that the people he was speaking to and the people that Jesus speaks to today, we have such deeply entrenched beliefs. We have our our ways of understanding 
our world, our worldview, the, the lenses through which we see everything are so fixed that sometimes what you've got to do is tell a story to get under the barrier. Does that make sense? And what Jesus' parables, we've said, using the language of Eugene Peterson, what Jesus' parables were was ticking time bombs. He'd just give them to somebody, they'd walk away thinking, oh, what a wonderful story. And as they were walking away, the thing would explode, shattering their preconceived bias and their worldview. This is what the parables were for. These stories became increasingly controversial, increasingly hard-edged, I think, as the gospel progresses. And the story that we have today from Matthew, the one that ends with the weeping and the gnashing, comes as Jesus himself has already arrived in Jerusalem. And he's facing the climactic moment of his own journey. He's standing face to face, if you like, with the cross. And he's engaged for the five chapters leading up to Matthew 25 where we encounter this story. He's engaged in a, a one-man offense, offense, offensive mission, a war, if you like, against the institutions of Israel which are resistant to his message. It's a critique. Jesus is concerned in this part of the gospel with judgment. If you, if you, you know, many of us think of Jesus as lovely Jesus, meek and mild, little baby, wouldn't hurt anyone. And of course, Jesus is the kindest human who's ever lived. But don't for a minute think that Jesus was a little kitten who would never tell you the hard word. If you do believe that, read Matthew 23, just how, how he critiques in order to call to repentance and life the people of Israel. And this, this story continues on in that vein. And this is what we read. Again, verse 14. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Okay, that the, begins with again. We leave that up on the screen. Again. It will be like a man going on a journey. The, the parables that have come before this one, they usually begin with something like this. 25 verse one, at that time the kingdom of heaven will be like. The kingdom of God in the other gospels will be like. The kingdom of heaven will be like. This parable doesn't begin with that exact terminology, but the use of the word again here, uh, which literally in the original language means just, for just as, is showing that Jesus is continuing to, to use parables to explain what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now we don't use the language of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God a lot, so we maybe need to unpack what the kingdom of God even means. The kingdom of God is the sphere of God's effective rule and reign. The sphere of God's effective rule and reign, which is a really fancy way of saying, next slide, if we can, and the one after. Oop, I think we're a little bit further. It's a fancy way of saying what happens when God's will is done. That's what the kingdom of God is. It's what happens when God's will is done. That's what the kingdom is. It's what it means for God's will to be done. The sphere of God's effective rule and reign. And Jesus showed and presented and displayed and offered the kingdom of God again and again and again. That was his core message. That was what the whole thing was about. He did it in his preaching. Showing people that he was giving them an offer, a gift, a free gift of entering into God's rule and God's reign. He did it in his 
activity by healing people. It was all to enforce and reinforce this message that the kingdom of God was coming. It had come. These signs, these wonders, these acts were all about showing people what God's rule and God's reign looked like. He did it in his death, his resurrection. These moments were all about what the kingdom of God was like. And the kingdom of God came decisively in the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus. What happened with Jesus was all about the kingdom of God. It was all about God's kingdom coming. That was Jesus' central message. That was the whole thing. And the kingdom of God since that day, we can say with confidence, the kingdom of God is truly here. But the kingdom of God is not fully here. The kingdom of God is pervasive, it is expansive. The kingdom of God is taking ground every single day in the midst of everything that's around us, but the kingdom of God is not fully here. And Jesus, so Jesus tells parables to explain what the kingdom is like. This is all uh, overview. It's all going back on what we've already been saying. Now the kingdom of God is the message that God has life and light and hope and that that hope is available to every person. But on the flip side, if we refuse and stand in the way of that message of life and light and hope, then we will receive, we will experience that as judgment, as the opposite of life and light and hope. And that's where the message of judgment in the scriptures comes from, that this free gift of God's grace is available. And if you refuse it, know that you you just won't receive it. And that that will feel like being shut out of God's presence. And so Jesus tells these stories to these people who are constitutionally resisting his grace. And he tells a story here about a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Now, the, the typical rendering, the typical explanation of this story is that this is about what, this is basically Jesus preparing his disciples for his departure, that he's telling them how to behave once he's gone. He's like he's saying, hey, I'm giving you a few bags of gold each, talents. I'm giving you some stuff to spend. You must ensure that you invest it wisely because when I'm gonna come back, I wanna see how you've spent it. And certainly there's some truth and some value in that explanation. It, it, gives, it makes sense to us and it gives us a sense of how to posture ourselves in this time between times as we're waiting for the coming of the kingdom of God, we're waiting for Jesus to return. But it isn't primarily how I think Jesus intended this text, this story to be understood. It's worth saying that if you were a Jewish person, and I realized this morning, by the way, uh, we're gonna go a little bit technical, so just hold on with me. Uh, I don't make the rules, I'm just trying to explain them. Um, And also, it'll make it legal. So when I land this, you'll understand I've got it from somewhere. If you were a Jewish person at the time and you heard a story about a master or a man and a slave or a servant, you would instantly think this has got to be about God and Israel. That's just what this sort of narrative arc would have meant to you. So straight away they'd be thinking, okay, this is about God and this is about us, the hearers being people of Israel. In addition to that, if you heard a story in which the master or the man 
went away for a period of time, your mind would immediately be drawn to a prophetic expectation of the return of God to Jerusalem. You see, the people of Israel at this time, at Jesus' time, felt like God had taken a holiday. They felt like God was on an extended leave of absence. You see, he'd left the temple all alone. His presence had left his people. And what that looked like for them was judgment. It looked like exile. It looked like being enslaved under Roman oppression. Before them, the Greeks and everyone else. And they were there praying and waiting for God to come back to Zion. For God to return to Jerusalem. They knew that the situation they were in was that they were a slave or a servant waiting for the return of the master. This wasn't a story that they project out into the future. This was a story they would be able to find themselves in right then and there. In fact, that expectation was written into the law and the prophets, written into Isaiah 40 to 55 particularly. The man in this story, who is God, had indeed been on a journey. And that's what it felt like to every person. God had gone walkabouts. He was distant, absent, and far off. What was needed was the return of the king. The coming of the kingdom. The very thing that Jesus is saying is happening in his life and his death and his resurrection. Now the problem is this. When he came to establish the kingdom Not everybody got it. There was this strong cognitive bias. They expected, they had very, very strong expectations for what it would look like when the kingdom came. Oh, we need a military leader. We need somebody who's capable of a strong leader. One of those people who can, we need a strong orator, don't we? Somebody who can negotiate, fulfill the promise. Brexit means Brexit. Let's build a wall, whatever. Someone who can deliver on their promise, not just talk a good game, but act it out. It was that kind of thing, that kind of narrative. Somebody would kick out the Romans, someone with some edge to them. And then this guy comes along, he's, he's a bit of a peasant, He hangs out with peasants, he hangs out with prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners and and people who have no homes and and he's a bit edgy. Oh, he does a load of great stuff with the poor and he heals people. Yeah, but he's not really one of us. He's not really one of those people that belongs to the core institutions and we really need an insider because we're expecting somebody who's going to come from the line of David. We need a kingly figure. It can't be this peasant from Nazareth. It doesn't look like a king and we're waiting for God's kingdom, aren't we? Cognitive bias, strong expectation. You see, Jesus isn't telling this parable to us today. I mean, there's a resonance for us and I'm hoping to unpack that. If I can get there. This parable would have been for these people like a ticking time bomb. And it wouldn't take him very long to go off. As Tom Wright says, this was a warning that when Yahweh returned to Zion, he would come as judge for those in Israel who had not been faithful to his commission. This wasn't about the over there and then. This was about the right here and now. This moment right now is imminent. 
So what does he do? What does the man who is God, who represents God in the person of Jesus do? Well, firstly, way back when, God, it says, called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Again, this is not Jesus saying what he's about to do. This is him saying what God did in the first place. He called his servants. You remember that text where God calls Abraham. This was where, this was where God called his servants. God called Moses, didn't he? And he entrusted great wealth to them. The, the great wealth, uh, uh, the, the text speaks of bags of gold, the original language, the original Greek says talents. And many of you who've been around the church, you're familiar with this concept of talents. It's, the use of this word talents is where we get the concept of you having talents and Maybe even I've got a talent or two as well. It, a talent is a bag of gold, and it, it would be one talent would be between 15 to 20 years of a day laborer's wage. An extreme amount of money. Five would be, you know, an extraordinarily large capital sum. One talent was a small fortune. What a laborer might hope to earn in half a career. What Jesus is saying is that God had been, God had called Israel and he'd been exceedingly generous. He'd been so gracious. He'd given them so much. What had he given them? He'd given them. He'd given them, he'd given them favor. He'd said, you're my, you're my, Israel, you're my child. I'm not calling you because you're any good. In fact, I'm sort of calling you because you're no good. But I want you to know that I've got great plans for you. I've, I'm going to favor you. You are going to be a light to the nations. He gave them great favor. He gave them his law. He gave them the Torah, the way of living that would mark them out as being distinct from all the other nations. And if they followed that, they would know that they were in deep, intimate communion with God. What a gift. The, the favor, the, the law. He gave them the temple, a living and visible sign of the presence of God with them all the time. Wow! There were loads of temples out there in the world, but none of them was a temple of the presence of the living God who created the heavens and the earth. This one was. He gave them favor. He gave them the law. He gave them the temple. He gave them the promises that from them would come Messiah, who would not just save them, but who would save the whole world. He said that they were going to be the ones from whom the kingdom of God would come in power. Look at how generous God had been. And yet, despite his generosity, the critique of the prophets is that they'd squandered his generosity, they'd spent it on themselves. The favor, rather than using the favor to bless the nations, a light to the nations, they turned the light in on themselves. They, as Jesus said in Matthew 5, they'd put it under a basket. Rather than spending the law uh, to, to be so attractive that others would be drawn into communion with God, they'd used it as a way to distance themselves from other people. They'd become separatist. Not just separate. The favor, the presence of God, you know, one of the, the moments that Jesus is at his most controversial in the Gospels is where he turns over the tables in the temple and many people think that's Jesus hating the fact that things are being sold in the temple as if having a CD stall at the back of church, we don't have one by the way, is something for Jesus to get his knickers in a twist about. No, no. Jesus here in this moment 
is judging the temple because it has become a place of exclusion, not a place of welcome. This is the strongest imaginable critique. What Jesus is saying is despite the generosity, despite the bags of gold I've given you, one of you at least has buried the gold in the ground. I've returned, I've come back, and you haven't recognized me. So what happens to the one who does bury the, the, the gold in the ground? Verse 28, so take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. You see, this is a parable. It's a story told against those who reject Jesus. To those that have, more will be given. But to those who don't respond, even what you have will be taken away. Give it to the one who has 10 bags. The kingdom will be taken from those who don't receive it with joy and will be given to those who do, who are willing to invest the favor for the benefit and the blessing of others. Do you see how this is a, an imminent critique? It's a right then, a right there teaching. Now it has a resonance to us. I'm not denying that. But I think this is something of how Jesus' hearers would have heard this. On the contrary, it's not all bad news, by the way, today. There are those who hear the word of God and receive it, to use the language of the parable of the sower in Mark chapter four, who, who respond, who invest well. What do we read about them? Let's lighten this up a little bit. <laughs> to one he gave five bags of gold, to another two, and to another one bag. Interesting, it says here, each according to his ability. This wasn't unfair. Jesus' investment in these people was according to what they were capable of doing with it. The question is not their capability, but their willingness. Verse 16, the man who'd received five bags of gold went, listen to this, at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. At once. There's a sense here of eager discipleship. This person and indeed the other one are those who receive the kingdom of God and immediately want to do something with it. They know it's not just for them that it's a, a story that, that demands all of their lives. That their expectations haven't closed them down to receiving and being used in a way that they hadn't anticipated. And so they eagerly get on with the business of investing the favor that's on their lives. And what comes for these ones is abundance. Is abundance. I love this picture. I don't know if I can find it right now when I need it. I can, verse 29. For whoever has will be given more, and what and they will have an abundance. You know, the point of the kingdom of God is abundance. The point is not just that we'd skim around just above the misery line. But God, I think, gives us his kingdom. The kingdom of God is available so that we would receive joy. Now, that doesn't mean that life will always be easy. It doesn't mean that we won't experience challenge, sadness, and at times even depression. That's part of the human condition. We don't cease to be human when we come to Christ. But it does mean even in the midst of that, we can have a perspective that releases joy. Abundance. Now you may have heard this taught as if God's dream and plan for every Christian's life is material abundance. That is patently absurd. Ridiculous teaching. How could we possibly come to that conclusion when our Savior was a peasant? Mind-blowing. 
Eager discipleship means abundance. It doesn't mean ease always. But it does mean that God will add to us. Hope will rise from the ashes. And we put our money to work. Those who receive put their money to work. The principle of investment counts here. You have to speculate in order to accumulate. Thank you. I hope I've made some sense of that rather than completely butchered it. I know I've jumped around a little bit, but it's quite a long text and it doesn't suit a line-by-line teaching in 30 minutes. Let's land this. How are we going to apply this? It's an imminent critique. It's a right then and right there story that they would receive and it would be like a time bomb. You could not come away from this story feeling unoffended. You know, Jesus was really willing to offend people. I didn't do it for the sake of it. He did it because he wanted to bring people back to God, to repentance and to life. But Jesus tells this parable, I think, partly to explore the different responses that he's received. He does it to, and this I think is where the traditional explanation really holds weight for us. The truth is that people respond in many different ways to the kingdom. Some receive it with joy and eagerly go out and are willing to share. They're willing to live lives of extraordinary generosity. They're willing to allow themselves to become a huge return on investment and it leads into abundance. But some Maybe because of cognitive bias or whatever, that they're just not willing to go there. For some reason, for them, it just doesn't fit. And it's not just like it hasn't made sense yet. For some, it's like a, an, an entrenched opposition. It's like, I'm against it. And it, leads, it should lead us to ask the question, and I recognize this is not a comfortable question. Well, we must ask the question, how have we received the good news of the kingdom? We have to ask that question. I ask that question all the time. Lord, when you look at my life, do you see the fruit you'd want to see? I ask that. There are, I told you that God is dealing with things in my life at the moment. He's always dealing with, always is doing that. Sometimes I become aware of it. Sometimes I switch on. Just at the moment, I feel like even in the last week, there's just been this, a new level of which God is just confronting me with the fact that when people oppose or attack me, I just want to attack back. And it's like Jesus is saying, look, Johnny, you know I don't do that, don't you? You know I turn the other cheek. What? It's time for you to learn to turn the other cheek. Even if you're attacked, even if you're opposed. And Johnny, if you're not willing to do that, you're not going to inherit the greater favor that I have for you. And the question I think is, the first question I want to I just put before is, are we surrendered? Are we surrendered? Are you willing to surrender your bias, your expectation for what the kingdom might mean? Are we using this message? Are we, are we open to how this message might want to work its way out in our lives? Or 
Are we like those around Jesus for whom it was just going to make too much mess to follow in the footsteps of this king? Where the, the paradigm that we'd fallen in love with, a paradigm of a king who was going to be ruddy like King David, tall and handsome like King Saul. Somebody would come and slay the giants like David did Goliath. That, our, our expectation of a king stands in the way of receiving the king that comes to us. What are your expectations of the kingdom of God in your life? Are they standing in the way of what God's trying to do in your life? And therefore, are they standing in the way of God wants, what God wants to do through your life? You see, we can miss. We can be around Jesus. We can be standing in such close proximity to Jesus like these scribes and these Pharisees were and miss him, even oppose him or oppose his work in our own lives. None of us want to be there. And what God wants for our city is that this church would become, and every church, every community of Christians would become a light to the nations. I end with this. How did this happen? How did this happen? I've spoken about confirmation bias. I am at this point departing from the text. I want you to know, this is my hypothesis, and I realize there is a confirmation bias even within this. But listen to this. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man. Harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. I, I wonder, I think, whether what happened for this one, what happened for those who rejected Jesus was that what was wrong was fundamentally their view of God. This really was about theology. Not as in learning from really boring detailed books, but as in your view of God. This is about worship. What was wrong was that they just hadn't understood God's character. They didn't know his nature. This one says, I knew you were a hard man. I knew you were, if I can say this in church, I knew you were a bit of an ass. And because I thought that about you, I didn't, wanna, I didn't really want to partner with you. So I thought, I'm just going to bury it in the ground. I'll just give it back when you come. Failing to see that what had been entrusted to this servant was a talent, half a career's worth. A head start. And I guess the question I want to land with is this. What does God look like to you? Can you see what he's entrusted to you? Are you grateful? Are you thankful? Because thanksgiving and gratitude are the soil in which the kingdom flourishes. And I wonder whether God, what God, let me just try and say that, I'm going to start again. I wonder whether what God really wants to do in us at the moment is to shift our view of him, is to teach us truly how to worship him. He is good. He is generous. He is willing to forgive 
There is no person here, however grave you think your misdemeanors are, that God would not draw you right back into his loving arms, set you upon a throne next to him and give you a future and a hope if only you would receive it from him. Don't allow the lies the culture speaks to cloud out the goodness of God in the present day. Why don't we stand? Hey, thanks for listening to the Trinity Church Nottingham podcast. Each week at the end of the podcast, we want to take a few minutes to share some of the stories of what God is doing in our city and in the life of the church. This week, I'm here with George Trevor White. Hello. George is a curate here at Trinity. And one of the things, George, is that you do, you look after our 6.30 p.m. service, which is starting again this weekend, the yep. 22nd of September. Can you share a little bit, some of the vision and what you and Kate now, so excited for that. You're punching. Come on you? now. I'm uh, yeah, happy for years now. Yeah, yeah. Tell us a little bit about the evening service, students, young adults. Yeah, so 6.30 service. Yeah, I mean, it's open to everyone, like all our services, but we have more of our student young adult community attend that service. So for the next four weeks, um, so we're relaunching again this Sunday, but the next four weeks, we're going to have a particular focus on welcoming students, new students to the city. Um, we're going to have donuts and, uh, and coffee and great things and some testimonies during the service as well, different things that be going on with Alpha and other things from last term. And then after the evening service at 8 p.m., we're always going to gather downstairs um, and have some music, have some time to just chat together and then any updates for the week or any things we're doing. Uh, it's going to be really great, yeah? Incredible. Man, if you're a student or a young adult in Nottingham, I'm sure there's someone on the team here who would love to grab coffee with you. Get in touch with George, get yes. in touch with Kate, Duncan, Irina, any of the team here. But George, what I really want to talk about this week is the One Life mission. Archbishop Santamu has put together this mission over the past six years. He's been visiting all the dioceses in the north and bringing bishops from all across the UK together to do missions in each diocese. Mm. Uh, I was a part of one in Carlisle a few years back, and then it finally came to Nottingham this year. And just this past Saturday, we had a kind of prayer on the streets event with the Archbishop, a bunch of people came. Can you tell us a little bit about how did we get there? How did that event come about? And then just some of the fruit that we saw of it. Yeah, so yeah, like you say, the One Life Mission, all the Northern Bishops get together and they really help areas like um, engage in like a deliberate weekend of doing events that are for people outside the church that wouldn't consider themselves Christians or maybe are on the fringes of community. And so that happens across the churches all around the city. And you were telling me about St. Margaret's Aspley yeah. doing loads of stuff for the youth. I think. Like in like incredible stuff. I'm actually going to interview Dave on here Amazing. next week. Uh, I'll shut up about that for now. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> just, a, just a little tittle to get you excited about what's to come. But yeah. that, uh, they saw well over 200 young people make decisions for Amazing. Jesus. Yeah, and, and for us, you know, we've obviously got this rhythm every week doing prayer on the streets, which has now moved to a Tuesday at 10 a.m. But we kind of thought, we've, you know, the Archbishop was going to come be with us in the afternoon. We thought, hey, why don't we do a, on the Saturday kind of an extended prayer on the streets? We'll go out in the morning um, and then have the bottom part of the church just opened up, have a, a whole bunch of burgers and street food where people that we prayed for can come back to the church, have lunch and continue some conversations. And it was amazing. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was, it was amazing. I mean, in the, in the morning... For, uh, when we went out saw a whole bunch of different people prayed for a couple people in our congregation led a, a woman to faith just across wow. the road from here which was uh, yeah just incredible and later in the afternoon uh, the archbishop um, led uh, someone else to faith but there were amazing prayers you know not just for people you know giving their lives to Jesus for the first time but for healing things yeah. that are going on in people's lives some of the deepest kind of things that are 
going on in people as they walk around the city yeah. that no one ever asks them about and having that opportunity to pray. Well, sorry to like interrupt, mm. George, but you felt God kind of challenge you to pray, spend just as much time praying and listening, waiting on Him. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what did that day look like? Tell, tell us about that before. Yeah, we well, I mean, I'm like, naturally an activist, so my tendency is like, just let's get out there and do it. But I did feel, yeah, that we need to be praying more specifically for um, God to move in even greater power. You know, we read the Gospels and we um, we see all the things that Jesus done, all the things he's promised. And um, um, and it's, you know, it's not that we're not grateful, but we're like, well, okay, this, there, there's, there's more. You know, yeah. this doesn't quite match up to that. And so we, we're just spending more time praying in the shorter time out on the streets. And um, yeah, and so on Saturday, we, we pray together, gather together to pray. And then we would just wait, ask the Spirit to come and wait and um, see what the Lord was saying. Sometimes that will be, you know, maybe there's a particular part of the city that um, that we feel really drawn to go out and pray for people in. Other times it can be really specific words about people. I guess um, a lot of people call them words of knowledge, which is where God might give us a detail or a specific uh, kind of picture or something of someone that we'll bump into that we couldn't have known about yeah. otherwise. And, and it's really simple. There's no kind of um, complex theology to that. It's really simple. It's that God would give us an insight into someone's life so that when we meet that person, they would know that God knows them and Absolutely. loves them. So it could be anything. It could be, you know, someone wearing a pink shirt with a bunny on it to someone who has a uh, maybe a broken leg sometimes we've had uh, people's name and a sense of what's happened in their past and being able to and it is extraordinary like the amount of people that we've met and these words have just lined up and from the silliest things I remember Mm. uh, was it you who had a word something about sequent shoes and went in your mind's eye you just went I kind of see a bachelor party and we (laughs) had our vicar Johnny Hughes see a bachelor party going into a pub to which he chased after and yeah. prayed for. Not something it's you amazing. hear every day. Amazing. <laughs> uh, and then, I mean, we had that Saturday, which was really incredible. We saw tons of people just welcomed into the church mm. and prayed for on the streets. And then this past week on Tuesday, every every Tuesday now, prayer mm. on the streets, anybody can come to that. That's 100%. not that's not exclusive to Trinity. That's not exclusive to our staff team. Anybody can come along. And you had another incredible encounter with someone can you tell us just a little bit about that yeah it's amazing so just to say as well on Tuesdays that if you're coming for the first time you know we're not just going to go out we pray but then we also do some training as well so if you've never done it before we can you know give you some pointers about how we usually approach people or whatever but um but yeah so this Tuesday we started our usual rhythm again went out on the streets and uh, second person we bumped into, I was out with a member of our congregation. The second person we bumped into uh, was walking up the hill, and literally that day, that morning, had just been released from prison. And we began talking with this man, and you know he wanted he wanted us to pray that he'd have a good life, that he wouldn't end up back in um, prison again. But also, whilst he was in prison, he lost uh, his brother, um, who he was you know really close to. And so we were praying for him, praying for his brother. And after we finished praying, we were having a conversation about God, and we're able to say to him, you know, what do you think about Jesus, have you got any thoughts about God? And um, and he, you know, was opening up about someone giving him a Bible when he was inside prison, but not really knowing where to start with it, so not really reading it. And I, you know, we were able to just share about um, who who Jesus has been to us. You know, I just shared my testimony. Mm. You know, not growing up around faith um, and the way that I met with Jesus and how He's transformed my life. And after that, just said to him, you know, I believe that Jesus wants to do the same thing for you. You know, would you like to give your life yeah. to Jesus today? And he just said yes, and it was amazing. And so we just let you know, there's nothing. Uh, complicated we just led him in a simple prayer just um, helping him to invite Jesus into his life and um, you know we looked up after praying and the guy's face honestly was just shining it was um, honestly holding back tears every time that happens it's hard not to cry I mean yeah uh, I think one of the things that I'm struck by every time we go out into the streets 
is how kind our God is. Mm. How utterly kind our yeah. God is. It's amazing. Well, George, thank you so much for sharing with us. If you are anywhere in the world, not just in Nottingham, and you've been impacted by the podcast, or you have a story yourself that you want to share, we'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at stories at trinitychurchnottingham.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you.